The very fact that the word is spoken, I believe, has an impact on the spiritual realm around us. I think it impacts what Satan can and cannot do, what his demons can and cannot do here around the bridge. And I think the more the word is spoken, the more frightened they are, and the more they're going to flee. Now granted, they're going to try attacking from time to time as well. But I just I see such immense power in it, and that's why um, you know that's why I got off the plane and we drove back, and, and I wanted to be here tonight. It's not because you know I, I have some kind of need to be needed. It's it's because I just love the word, and I was looking forward to sharing this. I, I originally had planned just to maybe do some singing and praying, and then on the airplane I started looking over Numbers 28 and 29, and. I just got excited about something that I discovered here. We're going to do both chapters, and we're probably going to do this faster than we normally would do half a chapter. We're just going to move through this really quickly, but I, I want you to follow along and just see what's happening here. So let's go there. Number, number chapter 28, and verse 1. Tells us the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be careful to present my offering, my food for my offerings by fire of a soothing aroma to me at their appointed time. We're going to go through now two chapters of offerings. We've seen the offerings. Leviticus 1 through 5 details all the sacrificial offerings. We've studied them in depth. We've looked at the feasts and the festivals of Israel that will also be mentioned in these two chapters in depth. We've studied it all before, and we come to Numbers 28, and what a lot of times people will ask as they're reading through, especially if they try and just read through the Bible, why the repetition? Now, you probably know the answer to that. There's no such thing as repetition in the scriptures. There's nothing superfluous in the scriptures. Everything is there on purpose. And so as we study, we don't just want to quickly skip over it. We want to say, why is this here again? There's one simple answer I'll give you right off the bat. They're about to enter the promised land, and this is a whole new generation of people. So what's being shared in these two chapters is being shared literally, heard literally for the first time by the new generation of Israel. They need to know as well as their fathers. And there's something that can be learned there for us as parents, as grandparents, as, as would-be parents. As, you know, in looking at our kids and the next generation, every generation needs the word. Every, every week, every month, every year of our lives, we need to continue to return and begin and continue to teach the word to those around us. Every time I look out on a Sunday morning, I see new people on the bridge. And so, as you probably come to be aware, we will recover things again. We will go back over things that you've heard time and time again. What it does for you is it sinks it deeper into your heart. But there are people here constantly who they've never heard it before. And so the next generation always needs to hear it again. And that's really what's going on here in Numbers 28 and 29. The Lord is bringing up the offerings again. The very important, vital, critical offerings for Israel. Now that's the background of it, and here's how we're going to do this. We're going to move through quickly both of these chapters, and then I want to make some application. If you're taking notes, or if you just have your Bible there and you like to write in the margins, there are about eight different ways that the offerings are applied. And you can just jot them down. I actually wrote them right in my margins as I was studying through on the plane today. You just, just write them down. As we go through, again, we have studied this in depth. If you missed any of the study that we did on these offerings, you can always go back and get it. We've got them recorded in the, in the Feasts of Israel. I think there are four or five teachings on that. And uh, we also have it recorded on uh, the whole teachings in Leviticus. But let's uh, pick it up at verse 3. And we start here by the Lord declaring the daily offerings. 
Daily offerings, okay? That's number one, the daily offerings. He says, you shall say to them, verse 3, this is the offering by fire which you shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs, one year old, without defect, as a continual burnt offering every day. You shall offer the one lamb in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Also a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil. It is a continual burnt offering which, is, which was ordained in Mount Sinai as a soothing aroma and offering by fire to the Lord. Now again, they're not at Sinai right now. They're on the border of the promised land. They've already had a few battles, a few skirmishes. They're going to have one more against Midian before ultimately the chapters finish out in Numbers and we go on into Deuteronomy. But now they're, they're on the border of the, of the promised land. They're not in yet, and, and the Lord is reminding them. He says, verse 7, Then the drink offering with it shall be a fourth of a hen for each lamb. In the holy place you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. So that would be a good wine. Okay. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight is the grain offering of the morning, and as its drink offering you shall offer it, an offering by fire, a soothing aroma to the Lord. Daily offerings. So every single day in the life of Israel, God ordains these two lambs, morning and evening, will be sacrificed. Every day. A day will not go by, or should not go by, in the life of Israel without the daily offerings. Which we've talked about before is problematic for the Jews today. Because they have no offerings. There is nothing in Jewish faith by which they can achieve righteousness today. With the offerings, at least it was the daily lamb offerings, and then again annually, which we'll see in a few minutes, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And the constant offerings continually was going back to seeking forgiveness of sin, confessing sin, and finding some measure of atonement for that sin. That was the religious system of the old law. But now there's no religious system in place for the Jews. They cannot offer anything. They have no temple. They have no place in which to give the offerings to bring them. And so right now, Judaism, without the offerings, is an absolutely hopeless faith. Except for the promises of the prophecies that give us some measure of hope for the Jewish people. But we have the daily offerings. That's verses 1 through 8. Picking up in verse 9, now we have something new. The Sabbath offerings. We've studied and looked at the Sabbath before, every seventh day, but now there are offerings, very special offerings that happen. This is in addition to the daily offerings. So there's the daily offerings, and then there's the Sabbath offerings as follows. Then on the Sabbath day, two male lambs, one year old without defect, without defect speaking of who? Jesus. There you go. It's that answer we're looking for. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, so a one-year-old, uh, two male lambs, one-year-old without defect, and two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, and it's drink offering. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath in addition to the continual burnt offering and its drink offering. So on the Sabbath day, they now have an extra offering that is special for the Sabbath. And by the way, this was not given before now. Why is that significant? I don't know, but we just haven't seen it in Scripture. This is the first time where we're told now, in addition to the daily offerings, Sabbath day has its own offering. Verse 11 now is the third type of offering, or the third occasion for offerings, and that's on the first of every month. First day of the month, in addition to the daily offering, and if the first day of the month happened to fall on the Sabbath day, they would also do the Sabbath offerings and the first of each month offering. Verse 11. At the beginning of each month, you shall present a burnt offering to the Lord, two bulls and one ram, seven male lambs, one year old without defect, and three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering for each bull, and two-tenths of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering for one ram, and a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering for each lamb, and 
for a burnt offering of a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. And going on down, the drink offerings are mentioned, the male goat for the sin offering. This is offered at the beginning of every month, verses 11 through 15. Okay? First of each month offerings. Number four, beginning in verse 16, is the Passover offerings. Now we're into annual things. You come to the Passover. Then on the 14th day of the first month shall be the Lord's Passover. Let me remind you of something about the first month here. The first month is the seventh month. Do you all remember that? The first month is the seventh month. Actually, if you're looking at the Jewish calendar, the seventh month, the month of Nisan, God declares religiously as the first month. So the Jews have both the religious calendar and they have the civic calendar. The civic calendar is when we see the Jewish New Year. That's the first month of the civic calendar. But God declares the seventh month, Nisan, is the first month of the religious calendar. Why does he do that? He's placing a higher uh, standard, uh, raising the bar for religion, or better yet, relationship with him. That's more important than relationship even with people. The theological, the religious calendar comes before or above the civic calendar. Relationship with God is first and foremost and primary and then our relationship with each other. Okay? So here we are. The 14th day of the first month shall be the Lord's Passover. Verse 16. On the 15th day of this month shall be a feast. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. That's the feast of unleavened bread. Um, And again, we've been over this before. Let me remind you, there's Passover, there's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and there's the Feast of First Fruits that all happen over one weekend. They're all three separate feasts that we looked at just before Christmas back in December, but they all happen at the same time, and the Passover offerings are offered during this time. On the 15th of the month shall be the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Verse 18, on the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. He shall present an offering by fire, a burnt offering to the Lord, two bulls, one ram, seven male lambs a year old, having them without defect. And goes on, he talks about the grain offering in verse 20, and uh, how it's offered with the lambs, 21, and, and going on through. Verse 24 says, After this manner you shall present daily for seven days, this is throughout the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the food of offerings by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord, it shall be presented with its drink offering in addition to the continual burnt offering. So again, you've got the daily burnt offering. On top of that, you might have the first of the month burnt offering. Well, now we're on the 14th of the month, and for those seven days, you have the daily offering, you have the Passover offering. It's all happening at the same time. Lots of, you get in the picture, a lot of blood. Okay? goes on and says, on the seventh day you shall have a holy convocation, you shall do no laborious work. So, we have four offerings there. The fifth timing of the offering is at the Feast of Weeks. So, the Feast of Weeks offerings. Verse 26. Also, on the day of first fruits, when you present a new grain offering to the Lord in your Feast of Weeks, you shall have a holy convocation, you shall do no laborious work. You shall offer a burnt offering for a soothing aroma to the Lord. And then he goes on to describe that offering, which again we've studied before, through to the end of the chapter. Now, continuing in your note-taking here, chapter 29, verse 1, says, In the seventh month... On the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. It will be to you a day for blowing trumpets. Does anyone remember what that feast is or festival? Blowing trumpets. What the trumpet was? What is the trumpet a picture of? It's the shofar. And what's it a picture of? Jesus. <laughs> it's a picture of the rapture. The blowing of the silver trumpets. When Jesus comes, so we're really close there. That was good. This is the first day of the seventh month. This is at Nisan. Right, is right. Another 
Yes, now we're on the first day of the seventh month on the religious calendar, but it's the first day of the first, first month on the civic calendar. So if it's the first day of the first month, what would that be a celebration of? It's like January 1st. Which, New Year's, which is what? Rosh Hashanah, excellent. So this is the Rosh Hashanah offerings. Okay, A day for blowing trumpets, Rosh Hashanah. The blowing of the shofar. You guys are doing great. In fact, we are... Shofar, show good. Verse 2, you shall offer a burnt offering as a soothing aroma to the Lord. One bull, one ram, seven male lambs, one year old without defect. And he'll go on through verse 6 to describe the offerings which happened on Rosh Hashanah. Those are in addition to the daily offerings. Okay? All of that, all this happening all at once. Lots and lots and lots of offerings. Verse 7, now we come to something that happens ten days after Rosh Hashanah. It's the most holy day on the Jewish calendar year, and it is the Day of Atonement, also called in Hebrew Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. Excellent, excellent. So, seven, the seventh grouping of offerings here is the Yom Kippur offerings. On the tenth day of the seventh month, verse seven, you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall humble yourselves. That's what Yom Kippur is about—the humbling of themselves—and you shall not do any work. You may recall that between Rosh Hashanah, the New Year, Jewish New Year, and Yom Kippur, those ten days are also called the awesome days, and those are ten days where the rabbis, even today, will teach that your acts of repentance and confession count double. <laughs> it's more effective, more powerful to seek forgiveness in those ten days. It's the time of preparing for that massive day of repentance, Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Now verses 8 through 11 continue to talk about those specific offerings, the male off- goat uh, for the sin offerings and the lambs and, and the burnt offerings, all of that, for the Yom Kippur offerings. Verse 12 now, all the way, verse 12 all the way to verse 38, the whole rest of chapter 29 are the offerings for the Feast of Tabernacles. All just for that one feast. Verse 12. In fact, you know, I'm just going to read this through, follow along. On the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation, you shall do no laborious work, and you shall observe a feast to the Lord for seven days. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering of fire as a soothing aroma to the Lord. Thirteen bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old, which are without defect. This, by the way, will be in addition to the daily offerings. Verse 14, with their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for each of the thirteen bulls, two-tenths for each of the two rams, a tenth for each of the fourteen lambs, one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offerings and its grain offerings and its drink offerings. That's on day one of the Feast of Tabernacles. Tabernacles. Day 1. Day 2, verse 17. 12 bulls, 2 rams, 14 male lambs, 1 year old without defect. Their grain offerings, their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams and the lambs, by their number according to their ordinance, and 1 male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual offerings and its grain offering and their drink offerings. Verse 20 says that on the third day, 11 bulls, 2 rams, 14 male lambs, 1 year old without defect, and their grain offerings, and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance. Now one male goat for a sin offering besides the continual burnt offerings, and its grain offering, and its drink offering. I think I'm going to have to offer 
more studies just to get through all these offerings. Verse 23, then on the fourth day, ten bulls, two rams, and it goes on. Verse 26 says, on the fifth day, nine bulls, two rams. So you see each day it's one less bull as we go through here. A little less bull each day. Verse 29, then on the sixth day, eight bulls, two rams, 14 male lambs, a year old without defect. Verse 32, on the seventh day, now for seven straight days, all these offerings have just been going on. Seventh day, they have seven bulls, two rams, 14 male lambs, one year old without defect, with their grain offerings and drink offerings for the rams and the lambs by their number according to their ordinance. What are the drink offerings? What are the grain offerings? If you're not sure, go back to Leviticus 1 through 5. God details all of the offerings in those five chapters, and that's the place to go to, to kind of brush up on your offerings. Verse 35. On the eighth day you shall have a solemn assembly. You shall do no laborious work. But you shall present a burnt offering, an offering by fire as a soothing aroma to the Lord. One bull, one ram, seven male lambs, one year old without defect, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bull, for the ram and the lambs, by their number, according to the ordinance. And one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offerings, and its grain offering, and its drink offering. Verse 39, you shall present these, speaking of all the offerings now, you shall present these to the Lord at your appointed times, besides your votive offerings, and your free will offerings, and your burnt offerings, and for your grain offerings, and your drink offerings, and for your peace offerings. So there are other offerings that are all brought according to the free will of the people. Someone says, hey, I want to bring a peace offering to the Lord. This is in addition to all that we just studied. Someone says, I want to give of my own free will another offering to the Lord. It's in addition to all these others. What we've read in these two chapters are the prescribed offerings that must happen day in and day out in the life of Israel. That's a ton of offerings. Lots of animals killed. Lots of blood. What's the deal with all of this? Well, turning your Bibles over to Hebrews chapter 10 for a moment. We're going to look at two more passages tonight. Hebrews 10 and Psalm 110. But let's go to Hebrews 10 first. Russ actually read ahead on this and was asking me a week ago. And then, Russ, you kind of implanted the question in my mind. What is the deal with all these offerings? He was saying, when you read through those couple of chapters, what you realize is they were perpetually offering to the Lord like 24-7. The work of the priests in the tabernacles wasn't just, you know, if they had free time, they go out and visit the people. They were constantly, constantly, constantly praying to the Lord and offering up all of these sacrifices. It was a hard job, and it never stopped. It never stopped. Now looking in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. And the question really I want to ask, two questions. One is why so many offerings? We'll get to that in just a second. But the other question is, who, again, do all these offerings point us to? And the answer is the obvious one. Let's all say it together. Excellent. They all point to Jesus. Every single offering has hints, has clues, has portents of the coming Messiah. Every one of them. And we saw that again back in our study of Leviticus. Absolutely amazing how the Lord, you begin to understand that nothing that God does or did happens by chance. Nothing happens by chance. He laid the whole thing out. He planned it out. And as he gave the law and, and, the, and the prophets to Israel, throughout all of their history, we see these things given as portents and plans. It was all so powerfully and beautifully laid out that all the Jewish people had to do was open their eyes to see Messiah. Now some did. The apostles did. The followers of Jesus did. 
Men like Nicodemus, who were wiser maybe than his fellow Pharisees, they saw Messiah because they were looking for him. And in the same way, we will see Jesus in the scriptures as we're looking for him. But all of these offerings, these just constant offerings that are flowing daily, weekly, monthly, and annually, all are about focusing us in that one direction, and that's to see the person of Jesus Christ and to live for him. Now Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1, this is a great chapter. The Hebrew writer, I believe it's Paul, is speaking back to all of this and he says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. And by the way, that's where you're headed. Having once been cleansed by Jesus, ultimately you will no longer have consciousness of sin. You're going to know about it in this life. In fact, for the rest of our lives, either until we die or Jesus calls us home, we will be conscious of our sin. In fact, I've discovered that the more aware I am of grace, the more aware I am of my sin nature at work against it. We're going to be conscious of sin, but not after he calls us home. That is such a wonderful promise that one day we are going to, when we're with Jesus, no longer even have awareness of sin. Sin will no longer play a factor in our lives. We won't question the right and the wrong of things because we will be securely and completely and totally in His will and the sin nature will be gone, will be killed, will be cast out completely. But, verse 3, in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year. kind of points to communion. That we take communion week in and week out. Why? As a reminder of the grace of Jesus poured out for our sins. Verse 4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. This is Jesus speaking, for he's the one who came into the world, right? So he comes into the world and he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Now, the Lord said all through chapter 28 and chapter 29 of Numbers, and many times before, that the offerings brought a soothing or a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But here we find out the truth. That's not where his pleasure was. That's not what he was looking for. It wasn't that God just likes the smell of good barbecue. It was so much more than that. And the Hebrew writer is saying, here's the deal. You don't take pleasure in those things. Verse 7, Then I said, I is Jesus now, speaking in the first person, written prophetically back in Psalm 40, verses 6 through 7. That's what's being quoted here. Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. One of our favorite verses. In the scroll of the book it's written of me. Jesus, all throughout the Bible. I have come to do your will, O God. Now, Paul goes on saying, After saying above sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I've come to do your will. And Paul explains this. He says, He takes away the first, that is all those offerings, in order to establish the second. What's the second? By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
Every priest, he says, stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Praise God, that's us. He has one offering completely sanctified us. And in verse 15 it says, The Holy Spirit also testifies to us after saying, quote, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws upon their heart. And on their mind I will write them. And we pray for that. And we experience that to a degree right now. But even more so when Jesus comes. His laws will be on our hearts and in our minds such that, again, we will not be conscious of sin. We won't even go there. We won't even think about it because His laws will be on our hearts and in our minds. And it goes on and says, verse 17, And then he says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. What all those offerings did, and it just shows us how absolutely magnificent the offering of Jesus on the cross was. Because that one six-hour offering, and that's all it was, from the moment he was nailed and brought up and lifted up so that all men might be drawn to him to the moment he cried out it is finished was six hours and yet over hundreds of years of day in day out week in week out month in month out year in year out offerings of Israel none of them could do what Jesus did in that one six hour period why? because Jesus is divine because God in His perfection took on human flesh and was crucified on the cross and no animal could do that. No animal could bring about the perfect salvation that Jesus did. Now I want, I want you to see one more thing here because it's interesting. Back in verse 12, it says that He, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. That's quoting Psalm 110. Let's go there. Psalm 110. For I realized something, again, in, in considering Russ's question, why so many offerings and why the constancy and all the blood and just the, it just never stopped. Why so much? What is that all talking about? Well, in the one case and in the first case, it's talking about Jesus. It's pointing us toward Jesus and his perfect once for all offering. It's a complete contrast. You know, the best of the best of the best that all Israel could bring could never come close to what Jesus brought. But that offering speaks of something else too. All those offerings speak of something else. And I'll show it to you in just a moment. But Psalm 110, which is where that last verse, uh, Hebrews 10.12 was quoted from, says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now this is the passage Jesus used. Do you remember? He's talking with the Pharisees and they're peppering him with questions. And so finally Jesus turns around. They've just asked him, by what power are you doing all these things? And he says, I'll tell you what, I'll answer that if you'll answer me this question. And he quotes this verse. He says, now David said, no, he said, who, who is the Messiah? And they said, the son of David, which would be a typical Jewish answer, son of David. And he said, well, really? Well, if the Messiah is the son of David, then how can David call him his Lord? If he comes after David, how then can David speak about one who precedes him? And, and he quotes, goes right to this and says, For the Lord said to my Lord, the Lord, Yahweh. That's the wording there. The Lord says to my Lord, 
Lord. Yahweh says to my Yahweh is what it's saying there. Well, that's confusing. David, inspired prophetically by the Holy Spirit, is giving us insight of God the Father saying to God the Son, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter. David is talking about Messiah. He's talking about Jesus. He will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power, in holy array from the womb of the dawn. Your youth are to you as the dew. He goes on and says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest. Again, talking about Jesus. According to the order of Melchizedek. Does everybody know who Melchizedek is? That might need to be another study for another time. You can read about him in Hebrews chapter 7 and in Genesis 15. Okay? And I'll leave him, leave you to there to, to study that or we can talk about it later. But he says, The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the, brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And this is all about God giving that power to Jesus. Well, it's God uh, transferring his power. Well, it's the same power. Jesus and the Father, they are one. But it's how God the Father is beginning now, even in the early prophecies through David, to express that there is more to him than just one, one personality. There's Father, there's Son, and the Spirit is the one who's motivating David to write this. But what I want you to see here, and this is what caught my eye. I flipped over here, Psalm 110. Uh, he says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Verse 3, though, says the following. Watch this. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. There's something going on with the offerings we need to understand. We need to understand that the offerings, in bringing the offerings, what God was doing with Israel is exactly what he's doing with you here tonight. He was teaching them faithfulness. He was saying, I want you to be faithful. I want you to come to me faithfully. And we've talked about it many times that faithfulness is a long obedience in the same direction. It's saying, I don't care if American Idol is on tonight or not. I don't care if it's the season finale. I would rather worship the Lord than worship American Idol. Now, I've got it taped, so I'm going to go home and watch it when we're done here. But, that's beside the point. God is interested in developing in us faithfulness. And faithfulness is not something that comes in the flash of a, of a pan. It's not something that comes when someone stands up on a Sunday and says, I commit my life to the Lord. Faithfulness doesn't come when I walk down to the pond and, and I'm immersed into Jesus. Faithfulness does not come when I open my Bible once every now and then to read a verse and see what's up there. Faithfulness comes day in and day out, week in and week out, month by month, year by year, just like the offerings. And our faithfulness, gang, is our offering. It's, it's all we really have to bring. I got nothing. Spencer, you got nothing else. Mark, this is all you've got to bring. Leo, we don't have anything else to offer the Lord. But our faithfulness. And God says, I want it. I want your faithfulness. All these offerings, Israel, I want you to learn what it means to be faithful. And God goes way to the extreme in all of these offerings so that these children will learn to follow Him, to be faithful to Him. He gives them so much to do in the way of offerings that when they come into the promised land, if all they did was focus on the offerings, they would never have had any problem with the false gods. 
But rather than faithfulness, they fell into faithlessness and chased after false gods. And they missed the point entirely. So God calls us to faithfulness. That is our offering. So all of these offerings, Russ, that you see here, all of these offerings, they're pictures ahead of time of the kind of offering God would like from us. And that's our faithfulness. Our day in, day out. Living for Him. Walking with Him. Being with Him. Not even just every Wednesday night. It's our moment-to-moment connection with the Lord. That's what He invites us to. To be with Him no matter where we are, no matter what's going on. If I'm at Disneyland and I'm on the Matterhorn and I'm yelling with my son, God says, I'd like to ride too. You know, if I'm walking through, and it was, it was so interesting, we, we went on this ride in California adventure called Soaring Over California. Has anybody ridden that? It is cool. Isn't it awesome? If you go down there, you've got to ride this ride. It is absolutely amazing. You, you sit in these long rows, and basically you get lifted up in front of this huge screen, and they lift you up, and you feel like you're on a hang glider. Your legs are just dangling there, and all of a sudden you start out, and you are rushing over the Golden Gate Bridge. And you're slowing down. You feel the wind in your face, and you can smell the salt water. And then you flow over that, and, and you go through all these different scenes of California. You go over orange and lemon fields, and you can smell the citrus. It's really cool how they do it. I'm riding this ride, and I kid you not, I'm riding it, and I'm looking at all the grandeur, and you come over uh, Yosemite, and there's Bridal Falls pouring off the rock, and off to the side, Half Dome, and I used to camp there as a kid, and I saw all that, all that and out loud, I've been soaring over California at California Adventure Disneyland, and I go, praise the Lord! <laughs> and you know, it's just a big scream, but, but I'm there, and I'm thinking, look at what God has done. And in that moment... I had a moment with God, and that's what He wants. It's that, it's that just constancy of our relationship with Him. More constant even than these offerings that we've just read about in chapters 28 and 29. He wants our faithfulness. He wants to be with us everywhere we go. He wants that kind of relationship. And you know what? Man, my life is so much better when I'm connected like that. Now in the other days where I'm stressing out and I'm worried and I'm trying to take care of business and do all kinds of things, and, and I get distracted from that wonderful relationship... Well, that's where I fall down and I'm missing out. And my own heart begins to wilt. But in these times when I can just walk with the Lord, it's wonderful. One other thing. Again in verse 3, Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. You know, God doesn't just want our faithfulness. He wants our free will. The phrase here, Your people will volunteer freely, is literally, and you might want to even jot this down in your Bibles, it's literally, Your people will be free will offerings. Your people will be free will offerings. I'm not looking for an animal as a free will offering or, or, or some grain or some doves. I want you. And I want you faithfully, but listen, I want you faithfully of your own free will. I want you to do this because you want to do it. I want you here because you want to be here. And that's what I believe the Lord is trying to show us in chapters 28 and chapters 29 of Numbers. Faithfulness. He wants us coming of our own free will to be people who are free will offerings to the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just bless your name and praise you. We praise you, Lord, because the more time we spend with you, the more lifted up we feel. The more wonderful our lives are as we're aware of you in every little place that we go. Father, we're aware of you as the rain comes down. We're aware of you as the birds sing. 
we're aware of you when we open the barn door and a gust of cold wind hits us in the face. Not because, Lord, we're not speaking pantheism like you're in all these things, but you created all these things. And each and every one is a reminder of us to us that, that we have a Father, a great, glorious, powerful Father who loves us. And Father, I thank you for the study in Numbers 28 and 29. I thank you that you cared enough, first off, about Israel to call them to faithfulness. But I thank you more so that through Jesus, that one offering was paid. That we might come to you freely, Lord, seeking a faithful relationship with you all 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 throughout our lives Father bless my brothers and sisters tonight and may we walk out of here a little more faithful and a little more committed to following you in Jesus name Amen